Hello, welcome to this episode of the Southland Health and Wellness Hour podcast. My name is Rhonda Jackson, your podcast host and coordinating producer for the Center for Community Media. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-focused and engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland. Individual and community stories and situations serve as foundation for discussions where we can begin to address unanswered questions about health inequities and concerns and where we might find possible solutions. This podcast brings together community members, leaders, and organizations alongside topic experts to address social trends, a variety of health and wellness topics, and to provide community resources to improve the lives of our listeners. The guest comments and statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor State University. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we'll be discussing restorative justice, particularly the impact that restorative justice practices can have on the health and well-being of South Chicago and the Southland. Restorative justice is a term you may not have heard before, but there's a strong possibility that you already have a basic understanding of some of the ideas at the core of restorative justice. Our guest today will broaden our understanding of restorative justice and talk about the Cook County Southland Juvenile Justice Council, which is an example of what practicing restorative justice means. To help us forge a connection between justice and health, I'm going to bring up a term that I personally dislike. That term is Chirac. Now, my quarrel is not with Spike Lee's adaptation of Lysistrata. To me, it's a term that has been appropriated, if you will. It gets casually thrown around, mostly by people who have no lived experience of the culture and resilience of many of our South Chicago neighborhoods. The ugly truth, however, is that describing the conditions of some South Chicago neighborhoods as war zones is completely accurate. The violence and instability that residents of the Southland have endured has left an abundance of PTSD as well as a whole host of mental health concerns. Okay, let's dig in and learn about restorative justice. Our first guest is Jacqueline Davis, the executive director of the Cook County Southland Juvenile Justice Council. This council provides local government with the vision, guidance, and support they need to collectively address the violence and juvenile delinquency problem from a local perspective. Welcome, Jacqueline Davis, and thank you so much for joining us. Our second guest is Dr. Shaniqua Jones, author of Restorative Justice and Restorative Practice Training Manual. She's also a public speaker, the founder of Purple Path, which is a restorative justice-based crisis management and training organization. She's a longtime community advocate and a Governor State University alum. Welcome, Dr. Shaniqua Jones, and thank you for joining us. Before we start, listeners, we want to invite you to contact us, comment about this podcast, and ask questions about restorative justice, mental health care, and any other wellness topics that interest you. Our podcast website is where you'll find a link to drop us a line, as well as useful takeaways and accessible community resources. The website address is in the podcast description.
Those of us who are millennial age and older probably remember the first widespread mainstream example of restorative justice in practice. That's when apartheid ended in South Africa in the mid 1990s. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission held a series of public hearings about human rights violations committed during apartheid. That was restorative justice on a monumental scale on the global stage. Let's scale it down and start at the beginning. For that, we'll turn to our restorative justice expert, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones, what is restorative justice? In its simplest form, it's a way of life. We all know that we've experienced some of the most heinous and egregious situations, even in the midst of the pandemic, but we are human and Research has even shown that this is the highest level of sensitivity our world has experienced due to the uncertainty of COVID, due to racial, civil, social unrest, and things of that nature. And so in essence, when you think about restorative justice, it's saying that there is an issue, there is a problem, there is a misunderstanding. I may have said something to you, Rhonda, that offended you. And because we don't have a working relationship or we don't have a meaningful relationship, I had no clue that I offended you, but what if I did know? So either way it goes, someone is harmed in a situation and now we need to bring all shareholders who have been harmed by the situation together so that all voices are heard and not just heard for the matter of talking and meeting for the sake of meeting, but talking about what the issue at the root has been. What is the foundation of the situation? What is the backstory? What brought us here? Not just the incident at hand, but who are you before this incident? Who were you before this incident occurred? And then think about tangible and sustainable ways to be solution oriented so that those voices that are heard, we're coming to an agreement to say that this is what we can do to move forward. And we're going to hold each other, hold each other accountable. We're going to make sure we have a, a follow-up process that's conducive to meet the needs of the people who are served in this particular situation. It is reactive. At the same time, it's also saying too that this may not be a kumbaya moment. We may not walk out hand in hand. We may not be skipping down the hall with, or down the street, but it is saying that I respect you and I'm able to humanize you if, if in the instance that I have dehumanized you in, the, in totality or in this particular situation. And so we need to be able to move forward in the best productive way possible and restorative justice is the way. So meaningful communication is, is the key to restore, restorative justice. Meaningful relationships. And what I mean by that is, is that I may see you in passing and we all have experienced this because I've been on both ends where if we're walking down a hallway and we're just going to say governor state for the sake of the, the space that brings us all together. If I'm in, in, the, in the main entrance and I walk past you, Rhonda, you don't know me, I don't know you, but we make eye contact in passing and I say, hey, how are you? Hi, hello. How are you today? And by the time you get ready to respond, if you feel comfortable enough to respond, what has happened is I don't walked on and went on about my business. But what if that was the one moment where I'm not knowing who you are, what you are experiencing, but you felt led and led and and comfortable enough to say, I'm not okay. Because we all know it's easy to say, because it sounds good to say, if someone asks you whether you know them or not, like I'm good, because we don't want to burden people or we know we don't want to be judged or we don't want to feel like, um, you know, imposter syndrome kicks in at times, you know, that pride and, and guilt kicks in. So an ego. But what if that was the one day that you made the decision? Like if someone asked me the question, I'm going to be honest. And my honesty is that I'm not OK. And then what if that led to a deeper conversation? But because of time or our, our lack of timing, 
we live in a world of instant gratification. I keep it moving. I I could have been the the gateway to your 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 healing. And so when you think about restorative justice, it, it's about relationship, and it's not just about communication. It's about comprehension. We've all been taught that communication is key, and it's not. It's comprehension. So to drive it home for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Let's contrast restorative justice with the modes of justice that we're accustomed to seeing. Restorative justice helps men relationships from one person to another. The traditional justice system is not a healing process. You're, you're, you're punished for whatever the act is, and you're not seen as a person. You're seen as a problem. We have to remove that problem. And most times when that problem is removed from its environment, it's not something to actually rehabilitate rehabilitate and restore. And that's why recidivism rates are where they are now in this world. And so when you think about restorative justice, it's saying that I see you. It's saying that you have a backstory that who you were today may not be who you were yesterday. And so it's, it's given us the ability to have uh, flexible emotions. Like I, we don't take a one size fit all approach, but we know that if we're talking about our traditional systems and schools and justice systems, it's like, Hey, this is the crime and this is the color of your skin. And so this is the amount of time that you will serve. And we, we could go on and on about how the racial equity or inequities is deeply rooted in what we talk about when we talk about restorative justice from a, a broader lens. And then two, the other thing is all voices are heard when we're talking about being restorative while in most traditional settings of our punitive systems or that's supposed to be uh, filled with this justice and love and peace and harmony is that the offender or the person who is deemed the offender is given more power while the person who has been directly harmed and deemed as the victim is powerless. It seems to me that the way that we handle justice, particularly in America, just isn't sustainable. And what I mean by that is that I think that historically speaking, certain cultures have always used restorative justice because they couldn't, they didn't have the resources to maybe punish and discard members of their community. Is that, would you say that's correct? Not necessarily. What I would say is that prior to knowing that you know, prior to having judges and law enforcement agents or agencies or anybody that was deemed uh, uh, what we see now is uh, uh, in those authoritative roles who may not be connected to the environment or the community that has been harmed. What has happened when you think about the Maori people of um, New Zealand or in, in England, and when you think about the Truth and Reconciliation Act, even in you know in the mid '90s that we'll probably talk about as well, is that it wasn't because these resources weren't made available. It was the fact that we don't need those resources because community takes care of community. The village take care of the, the village. And so there is no need to have someone who has no idea of our backstory, have no idea about our culture and our climate to come in and make decisions on our behalf when we have the ability, we have the strength, we have the fortitude to make decisions ourselves. Thank you. Okay, so now we're gonna move on to talking about restorative justice in practice. So, Ms. Davis, will you tell us about the mission of the SJJC? Sure. Um, The Cook County Southland Juvenile Justice Council is essentially a clearinghouse of resources for youth and families that live in the four townships of Bremen, Bloom, Rich, and Thornton. And what we strive to do and what our charge and mission is, is to essentially reduce violence prevention 
and uh, reduction as well as juvenile delinquency within those four townships um, by providing uh, violence prevention services. So we work hand in hand in tandem with the likes of Dr. Jones as it relates to restorative practices. Uh, we have trainings, we have workshops. She has a, an entire curriculum and we pride and strive ourselves on ensuring that appropriate individuals are thoroughly trained in those areas with regards to holistic practices, something that they can not only utilize within their professions or within the schools um, at home. You know, one thing that I, I really um, admire about Dr. Jones is the fact that she lives and breathes restorative practices. Um, and I think that that's something that's essential and that's why it's the cornerstone and the heartbeat of what the council does. Can you speak more specifically about how you're accomplishing this mission? Yes. And so at this point in time, uh, we have been granted a, a grant from the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority. It's for violence prevention and reduction. And so we're taking a three-pronged approach as it relates to providing services to the region that we serve. One of those uh, practices would be obviously restorative practices. Uh, Dr. Jones is providing workshops free to anyone that is interested in learning more about restorative practices. We've been granted this uh, opportunity until June 30th of 2022. In addition to that, we also recognize the fact that there is a mental health pandemic occurring from the pandemic. And so we want to provide resources to youth and their families regardless of their ability to pay to have access to mental wellness. We've partnered with Midwest Family and Community Resources to do that. Um, it can be individual, it can be family, it could be group counseling. Uh, it could be in-person hybrid or virtual. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, what I should have said was in-person, uh, virtual or hybrid. And so we just wanna make sure that we can provide services to individuals regardless of their ability to be able to get transportation, um, be in the comfort of their own home and the like. And the third approach is that we are trying our best to combat chronic absenteeism and truancy. A lot of people do not recognize that over 5,000 youth within the Southland region are truant or chronically absent. And the four townships that we cover, about 35 to 3,800 youth live in the four pockets that we we provide services for. And so we're trying our best to provide services to schools, um, to faith-based organizations, to households, as it relates to access to resources and to utilize these resources to make sure that they're able to thrive, um, not just survive, but to thrive and, and have access to thriving resources to be able to address the gaps in the voids that they're dealing with. So your approach is pretty comprehensive then. And it's, it's hands-on as well. And uh, I pride myself with regards to having just a great team. Relativity Resources, Shelia Friday is the CEO. Uh, they do our data collections and our evaluations. Again, Dr. Jones provides our restorative practices. We're in partnership with South Cook Intermediate Service Center, uh, where Garrett Podgorski is assisting various school districts with reducing their chronic absenteeism and truancy rates. And so, you know, we're just slowly but surely having a, a trajectory, if you will, with regards to success. Um, this is the second year that we've been awarded these funds, and we want to pour them into the community as much as possible. That's outstanding. Um, I never miss an opportunity to use the old saying, it takes a village, and it looks like that's what's happening within the SJJC. 
Thank you. Yes, we meet quarterly. Um, we have various sectors um, that are a part of our council. At this point in time, we have about 172 members. Um, and and it's, um, our members range from law enforcement to faith-based to community. We have a thriving youth advisory committee, which is right now comprised of youth from the Student Board of Education for Thornton Township High School District 205. They're the only functioning student board of education that I know of in the state of Illinois. They just had a very successful college panel last week where over 175 youth and families attended and over nine colleges were there. So we are definitely pouring into the community. We're doing our best to try to allow everything that we do to filter into the theater schools because we feel the younger youth are with regards to training them and teaching them about restorative practices, the better. Jacqueline is the, the backbone that brings us and holds us all together. We all know we need a solid foundation. And if you ever needed to understand or see a, a living witness of what a, a, a accountability partner looks like, not, not just talking about when you do the greatest things ever, but saying like, hey, what's going on with you today? That's what restorative justice is, is to know like, doc, you was two minutes late. That's not like you. Oh, this is what I got going on. And then say like, hey, well, what can I do to assist so this doesn't happen again? Or what, what can I do to make sure that you're operating at your best on a day-to-day best on your day on a day-to-day basis. So I just want to say kudos to, to Jacqueline for all the work that she does behind the scenes. She's usually the person that does not want to talk. She's the person that get things done. So I'm just thankful to be, to share a platform with her. We're back from the break with our guest, Jacqueline Davis, Executive Director of the Cook County Southland Juvenile Justice Council, and author, Dr. Shaniqua Jones, creator of Purple Path. Let's talk a little bit about the challenges you both face in doing the work that you do. Earlier, I mentioned the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. I remember feeling very concerned at the time and maybe even angry that the human rights violations of apartheid weren't being addressed in military tribunals like those held in Nuremberg, Germany after World War II. I was very concerned that people who perpetrated violence would not receive punishment. Ms. Davis, can you tell us about the experiences that these juveniles face when they're being processed at the Markham Courthouse? Unfortunately, I can't. Um, I pride myself on being transparent and having a high level of integrity. Unfortunately, at this time, we are not currently working with the juvenile judge at Markham. We would love to. We, we've tried to. And, and instead of allowing um, that relationship that we don't have to hinder us from being able to move forward with our mission, vision and, and our charge, we just work around her. And so that's why we, we not only work with justice involved youth, but we do work with youth that are at risk in totality. Um, we do have a great relationship with probation. They're definitely 
also a, a very supportive member of the council with regards to utilizing resources and, and providing us data and information. Um, but as it relates to the experiences that juveniles have had, um, I don't want to speculate or, or verbalize anything that has been uh, hearsay. So I, I really can't speak to that. Oh, certainly. While there might be a gap in, in knowledge, do you have any experience with the impact of what happens after the juveniles go through the process? Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and we do work with them as it relates to their school, you know, returning to school. Uh, various school districts, you know, often do have alternative schools, but some don't. And so there's that whole situation with regards to if it was a situation that happened in the community that spilled over into the school or it happened at school. Nevertheless, you know, you have that whole victim impact. Um, and so those are different things that Dr. Jones and I have worked at various schools to assist with, you know, the offender and the victim having to be, you know, in the hallway together and, and the like. So it's all about um, doing our best to, to be restorative. Some things, you know, we can work out and some it, it's just it, it's just not going to happen. And, and we anytime we take on um, an opportunity to provide those services we walk into that space with realistic expectations. And so, you know, the impact is essentially just trying our best to repair the harm that was done. Um, and, and all of that comes about communication. And, you know, communication comes with having to revisit traumatic situations. And so it's, it's all about how we handle that. And one thing I can definitely, that the council is so appreciative of is how thorough is the word I'll use. Dr. Jones is with regards to doing her, her procedure as it relates to trying to get to the bottom of situations um, and, and coming to a, a happy medium, if you will. You know, there are often times where she's able to uh, hold space with individuals that are able to walk away um, in a better state. And there are situations where, you know, she can't, but we don't give up. And so with, with that impact, you know, we're, we're showing that we're going to keep coming and we're going to keep showing up and we're going to keep trying to assist as much as possible and learn from all of those experiences, regardless if they work out or if they don't. And so the impact is also as it relates to ensuring that all the work that we put into youth, that we try our best to loop that into their environment, because we can work with youth all day long, but if they're going home to a punitive environment, I don't want to say that that our work is moot, but essentially it is. Um, and so we do our best to be able to not necessarily get into people's business. We just want to know, is there anything that we can do to help? You know, do you need help with with paying your light bill? Do you need access to food? Do you all need mental wellness services? You know, and, and we always want to utilize verbiage that's not punitive, that's holistic, that, that's restorative. So, you know, we know that mental health, that 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 term in itself um, carries a stigma. So we say mental wellness. And so, you know, we, we try our best to be very welcoming and to be accountable and, and, and allow ourselves to listen to what youth and their parents have to say, because that's very hard to accept that, you know, hey, I may need to talk to someone. So, you know, we, we just try our best to infuse, you know, letting people know that you don't have to be worried about being judged or anything. We're just here to help. 
That's all we want to do. So, you know, we see the negative impact, but we also see the positive impact as well. And that's why the council continues to do the work that we do. Dr. Jones, we were just talking about what happens when the youth return home to a punitive environment. Can you talk about punishment in relation to restorative justice? The best way I can give you an example, I'll give you like a theoretical framework to assist, but I'm, I'm really about that life application perspective. And so from a restorative lens in terms of um, the history and the dynamics of restorative justice in as, as a whole is saying that punishment is not even a word that we utilize because we have used that word so loosely to the point where when you say Dean in K through 12, the only time you really see a dean is there when there's an issue. I've done something wrong. But what does that mean when you get to college, you know, and you are on the dean's list? What does that mean for a person who has normalized dean or the, the title alone or the person who's in that position? And when you like that child is not excited about being on a dean's list, it's because they have been conditioned to believe that anytime you use this word dean, it equates to punishment. And anytime you say punishment, I've done something wrong. So therefore, I can't celebrate something that I'm not aware of. Right. But on, uh, if I take it a step further, anybody that knows Dr. Jones, I'm a gym shoe fanatic. And that's not just started. It's been that way my entire life, even when I couldn't afford gym shoes, at least the window shopping like that, that excites me. But what I'm what I'm trying to say here is this. When you think about the word punishment alone as it relates to restorative justice, sometimes we use punishment and accountability interchangeably. Accountability does not mean I have to have the most heinous consequence that's not even conducive to the to the, the action that brought me here or the, the infraction that brought me here in the first place. It's saying that if you was to call Mrs. Anderson, which is my mom, and you know, shout out to my mom with everything that's happening, that's a whole nother discussion. But if my dean in high school was to call my mom because I did something I had no business doing, whether I knew it or not, the best thing someone can do to get me to act right is say, Shanique, with no gym shoes for two months, I will get my act together immediately. That's where that empowerment comes from, because a lot of times what happens is the disciplinary infraction does not does not meet the needs of, you know, what are the competencies that are going to allow this child or this adult or this individual to understand the impact? Because I learned recently that we use the term impact as if it's something positive. But if you look at the origin of the word impact, it really comes from a place of negativity and a force to be reckoned with from a negative standpoint. So, for the sake of our conversation, impact is the correct word to use because there is a negative connotation of an infraction that has occurred. And now we need to make sure that the consequence is equivalent to the not just the person. That means you have to have a relationship because if you don't know me, you wouldn't know that the consequence should be no, you know, no gym shoes for two months. So when there is not that kumbaya moment, when things are not the greatest, what is it going to do to hit home for that person so that they could get their act together? And that's not what the American justice system does right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not justifying, you know, the wrong, like, I'm not saying that if, if something was heinous or egregious, if, if such as murder or rape, they're like, hey, I learned my lesson because, you know, I want my gym shoes. You know, like, like, I, I need us to think more, m- remove the idea of saying think outside the box. 
And we've all heard that, right? We're told like, hey, you know, in order to be creative, let's think outside the box. But what happens when you think outside the box and you get to the point where you're too uncomfortable? What you going to do? You're going to revert back to that box. So I'm not the think out the box person. I'm, I'm the throw the box away. Because if you throw the box away, I have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable so that I can be more productive, so that I can be more effective, so that the impact can turn into effectiveness right? That negative to a positive. So I could start normalizing the idea of what healing looks like from a forgiveness standpoint. And knowing that healing is not a one and done, you will heal the rest of your life. You're the rest of your life. As long as you live, you will be in it. If you start the journey, you will not end the journey until you take your last breath. And even then beyond you, depending on the, the effectiveness of your, your life, that the healing journey will continue even when you leave this earth. I think that in the West, we have a problem in general with being uncomfortable. Um, there's a lot of avoidance. And I think that it's probably shaped a lot of things that aren't necessarily productive, you know, in our society. Most definitely. Let's discuss advocacy. When we discuss advocacy, our focus, rightfully, tends to be on achievements. Ms. Ms. Davis, can you share some of the obstacles that the SJJC faces when they're working towards the mission? A lot of the obstacles is essentially um, being able to, to put personalities aside and focus on the fact that this is about our youth. Um, it's, it's never personal. It's, it's all about the business. Uh, we just want to save our youth. Um, in addition to that, um, I, you know, I shared with you the situation with regards to the juvenile judge in Markham, um, which is unfortunate. And in addition to that, you know, I was I would essentially say that um, it, it's extremely difficult to be able to get buy-in from parents. That we we hear that from the community, we hear that from parents, we also hear that from uh, school districts. And so, you know, we try our best to have various ideas and ways that we can get more parental engagement. Um, again, you know, this is all about our youth. We want to see them choose a path an alternate path to making uh, decisions that could significantly impact their future. And so we, we do our best to be able to provide top tier services where they can feel um, that they're getting the, the gaps and voids and, and the, um, their needs met. You know, it's just extremely difficult to be in a, a space and place at this point in time um, with a pandemic. Um, it, I talk to people every day where um, youth and their parents are just devastated. You know, um, they, they're, they're aching, they're broken, they're scared, you know, uh, loss of job, uh, loss of home, loss of vehicle, you know, loss of security. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot to be able to go through that as well as try to help to, them through that, you know. And so we just try our best to make sure that Again, as much as the funding that we receive that is poured into our programs, um, into the community, and that we connect and have those linkages with resources that actually provide the services that they state that they provide. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, connecting someone to a resource and, you know, someone has moved on or the, the um, organization no longer provides that service or, you know, just various things that, that occur. And then, you know, with something like the pandemic, you have to make sure that a lot of places are still open, 
you know, are, are, are still able to help um, individuals and the like. So, and then the, the biggest obstacle is always funding. You know, um, there's so, the, there's funding that, you know, just has strict restrictions with regards to what you can and cannot do with funding. And sometimes that's just not in alignment with not only what the council does, but with regards to the population that we serve and their needs. And so we just try our best to, to have partnerships that are thriving, um, linkages that and resources that are actually being um, available, you know, and, and we try our best to just work around the obstacles because nothing is easy. <laughs> you know, every everything, um, you know, has a, a check and balance, if you will. And, and so we just move forward and rely on our, our resources and our relationships, which are very important to be able to assist the youth and their families with regards to what they need. You know, thank you for being intrepid, especially within these communities that have just really suffered more than their fair share of loss during the pandemic. Kids and families have lost relatives. You know, people have died, you know, and and then the holidays and, and, you know, Thanksgiving is one thing, but it's like, you know, when Christmas comes around and the new year comes around, you know, there's always an uptick, you know, in depression and suicide. And so those are other factors that we also have to provide, you know, top tier services for. And that's why we're, we really have this push as it relates to addressing mental wellness. We, we want people to utilize this opportunity. It's free, regardless of your ability to pay, regardless if you have coverage or, or co-payments, we're not looking for any of that. We just want to be able to have people get the the help and the services that they need. Most definitely. And Dr. Jones, I know that you're hands-on with facilitating. Can you um, describe that a little in a little bit more detail and maybe talk about the pushback that you experience? Anytime when you have a way of living that's dysfunctional and you're not aware that it's dysfunctional and you are in a leadership role, that is going to be an issue. When you think about wanting to implement restorative justice, it starts with everyone. It cannot be done in silos. And so one of the things that we really have to hone in on is that the main obstacle, when you think of from an organizational standpoint, it starts with HR. Are the people that are, are, are set to serve and to be served, do they feel safe? Do they feel brave that if a, if a situation occurs that's disheartening, that will jeopardize the longevity of this organization, and I don't have the ability to come speak to you, then what we have seen, and even prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic has really shed a light, a, a bright, I don't know what the brightest light in this world could be called, but whatever that brightest light is, it has shined the light on all of the inaccuracies that we are facing from an individual perspective all the way to a, a global perspective, right? How is it that in Harvey, and I'm using Harvey because I'm, I'm born and raised in Harvey, so I'm always always going to throw Harvey out there, but how is it that we could live in Harvey, Illinois, which is zip code 60426, and do not have the resources that our children need that they should have already had prior to a pandemic? How is it that that when we think about what this global pandemic has done is that you don't get the proper services, the proper resources, you're just now getting laptops, while if I go 20 miles south, 
the day you register for school is the day you get the, the most upgraded, most current iPad. They know the difference between online learning, uh, the various forms of online learning, whether it's hybrid, virtual, in-person, blended, all these different forms of learning. And so what happens is that ma majority of the time, our children of color are at a disadvantage because when it's time to go on to higher education, if that is a decision, of, even if that's some language that's even introduced to you, you get to a college environment ill-prepared because you've been able to get a high school diploma, but do you have the soft skills? Do you have the tangible skills? Do you know the climate and culture in which you are now a part of? Do you understand the language? Do you know the ins and outs? Do you know that you can go to that admissions office without you know, raising your hand? Do you know who the registrar is? Do you, these are key people you need to know. Do you know where your library is located? Do you know that you have a punch card for your breakfast and your lunch? Do you know, you know, all these things. So are we really preparing our children from birth till graduation and beyond so that they could be the most, their most productive selves, right? And so I know one of the things, two things I want to add is that as Jacqueline was talking about mental health and mental illness, and prior to even uh, a starting this discussion, I'm very open about saying I have a mental illness. Now, I promise you, I get so much pushback for that alone, because when you work in an environment where you have union reps or you have you have these bylaws or whatever rules and regulations you have, most times those rules and regulations do not give you the fluidity. It does not give you the flexibility and or the autonomy to be a human being. The other thing is too, that the Surgeon General just released an article two days ago. And the title of it says, Surgeon General warns of emerging youth mental health crisis in rare public advisory. The pandemic, when I say again, the pandemic is shining light on things that have already existed, but now it matters. And so we live in a world that's reactive. We live in a world that needs restorative justice more now than ever before. And then a key word that Jacqueline mentioned as well was trauma. When you talk about trauma and one of the trainings I do, I talk about the seven types of trauma that people don't know about. Because most times when people say trauma, they immediately think, oh, you, you in Inglewood. Oh, or you on, on this side of Harvey. Or it's not that. It's not about a specific location. It's acute trauma. That one isolated incident that has held you bound forever. It's complex trauma, which is family violence, sexual assault, sexual violence in the family, somebody that was close to you that you're supposed you were taught to love. Or what about that child that tells you, mom, I want to go over to auntie and uncle house, but you send them anyway because you need a break. But you might get a break on this end, but now your child has been traumatized and they may not have the articulation to tell you what happened. But we have to start listening to our children and walk away from the idea that do as I say and not as I do. And then the moment that they don't agree with you, depending on the dynamics of the situation, we are we see that as a form of disrespect. And so then you got developmental trauma, which is like issues with childcare systems. You have historical trauma, slavery, genocide. You have intergenerational trauma. I'm traumatized. And because I didn't go through the healing journey, which is what we're seeing more now than ever before, when you say you don't get parent who a guardian cooperation is because they have unhealed things that that has prevented them from even being able to. How can I help someone heal if I don't know that I even need to be healed? I think I'm perfectly fine. And then you talk about repetitive trauma. You know, when I, if someone's going through chemo, the idea that I have to pass this hospital every day, even if I've been able to come back on the other side and I'm no longer a cancer, cancer patient, but now I'm a cancer survivor, but I'm still triggered when I pass this particular hospital because I remember the agony I experienced. And then the last one is vicarious trauma, which is people like us. 
people who have de- have been deemed healers, social workers, counselors, therapists that have not been able to compartmentalize mentally how to separate work life from home life. They carry the burden that's not for us to carry in the first place, but they carry the burden of every person that they encounter. And so now they're bogged down, burnt out and overwhelmed. I know I just said a lot, but that's what we talk about when we're talking about what does restorative justice really mean at, at its core. And that's why I ask you the question about obstacles. It's important to bring it up because as you're talking, as you gave that extensive list of problems, there are things that most people don't even have to think about. And then you're saying that you're dealing with parents who have experienced all of this themselves and they don't even understand, they don't know that that's not okay you know, that they can't even heal. They don't know that they need to be healed. And so it definitely was not to bring up what some people will call trauma porn. Um, And we all experience that like day in and day out. I think the media even kind of traumatizes us regularly. But yes, this was this was important to go through step by step through the obstacles. The, the power of storytelling is so magnificent that when you have the ability to share your story and share it confidently, and I'm not saying share every part of your story, but it, that comes with tactfulness and discernment. And so when you have the ability to share your story, share it because you never know who needs to hear what you have experienced. Because, you know, if, if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, like, oh, you don't look like anything you went through. Like today, I feel like I look like everything I've been going through, but I still come out victorious because I know who I believe in. I know who support me. I know that I love myself and I know this too shall pass. And at the same time, when you have the ability to share your story, the power that that encompasses sharing your story allows parents or anyone that has been on the other side, like I don't believe in RJ, but if you continue to be authentic, if you continue to be transparent, if you continue to be approachable and not just approachable, but accessible with healthy boundaries, the breaking point is going to happen. It may not be a one in, you know, one time and it's like, we've got to have this aha moment, but you got to keep going. And that's one of the things that Jacqueline spoke about earlier, that all moments are not the best moments. All success stories aren't success stories, right? But we have to keep moving forward in the most productive way possible. We want to invite you to contact us, comment about this podcast, and ask questions about restorative justice. Drop us a line at communitymedia at govst.edu. Also, please visit the GSU podcast webpage where you'll find useful takeaways and accessible community resources. The address is in the podcast description. If you know someone who would benefit from the work being done by the SJJC, their resource guide includes a wide range of information and links That address, as well as an address for Purple Path, will be on our podcast webpage. As we continue our discussion, let's talk about efficacy and good news. Now that we've talked about the bad, let's talk about the positive impact that the SJJC, the grant that you guys have got, is helping to fulfill the mission of reducing the number of juveniles that flow through the Markham Courthouse. Ms. Davis, can you speak about that? Sure. So in year one of this grant, we were fortunate enough to provide services to over 13,000 youth and families. And, and that was huge for us, most especially considering that it was during you know, the height of the pandemic. So I was really pleased that we were able to do that. Um, in addition to that, we had 
earmarked for Dr. Jones to provide restorative training practices and curriculum to 2,000 people. She did it to almost 2,700. She provided those services, which is phenomenal, fantastic. And so, you know, when I look at, you know, all of our achievements and our accomplishments, I'm, I'm very, very pleased because this was the first time that we had ever received a grant of this magnitude. And we really, I don't want to say we were necessarily building the plane as we were flying it, but that's essentially what we were doing because we wanted to make sure that we had the appropriate subgrantees, if you will, to be able to utilize the resources and the funding. And so, you know, we helped some school districts implement reset rooms. Um, again, Dr. Jones provided her, her services, uh, relativity resources. You know, they did evaluations and collected the data from beginning to end, which is how we were able to have such a wonderful artifact that illustrated how much we actually did, what our actual impact was. Um, and in addition to that, you know, we just want to continue to ensure that people are aware of what exactly we do. Our council is a unique council. We're, we're known as an unorthodox council. And so when I say that, that means that we provide direct services. Most councils do not. Um, that I'm aware of, selves on making sure that we are able to keep that door open with regards to being an unorthodox council due to where we are housed, due to the fact that we are the only uh, juvenile justice council for Cook County. With that, you know, we always want to make sure that we're working in tandem with entities that want to partner and that are also, they mirror, you know, our, what our charge and what our mission and vision are as well. And so with that, you know, we always want to make sure that we do everything with integrity. Um, you know, there's accountability and, and we're as transparent as possible. And so with that, again, everything that we do is through a holistic lens. Um, we have a very supportive executive committee. The board is, is top tier with regards to their expertise and their talents. And so we want to continue to be able to strive and, and do more. You know, if, if we can help 15,000 people for year two, uh, we would love to do that. You know, even though we, we know that areas that we want to focus on, you know, are not areas that most would want to tackle. That's why we want to tackle them, because we know it's needed. We know a lot of people are shying away from it. A lot of entities are shying away from it. We want to go towards it, because if you keep shying away from it, it's going to get larger. And so one of the things that we're finding is that chronic absenteeism and truancy right now, what a lot of districts have in place, is just not working. You know, it, it's something that we don't want to allow to continue to be punitive. We just want to come in and have resolution with regards to how we can combat it. You know, a lot of times people don't recognize that if a, a youth is late to school every day, more than likely, there's a significant reason. You know, it could be that they have to get younger siblings to school. It could be a variety of things. And so when I say, when I make an example like that, instead of counting that youth as late every day, can, is there a way that their schedule can be modified, you know, to where like their first period class could be study hall, you know, which won't impact them being able to have a, a, a school day, you know, that's not impacted by having to go to the dean or to be reminded that you're late for school again. And so those are the kind of the touches that we want to be able to tap into to allow youth to want to go to school, to continue to go to school, 
to look forward to going to school, you know? And so eventually we would like to morph into workforce development and, and mentoring. But right now, the three prongs that we're focusing on, chronic absenteeism and truancy, restorative practices and mental wellness, we, we feel that those are uh, definitely subjects that we have to keep at the forefront of whatever we do. And that's the takeaway, right? That mm-hmm. wellness is the key and relationships. Yes, most definitely. Is there any one takeaway that you want listeners to understand about the work that you're doing? Um, the one takeaway that I would like for the listeners to walk away with is that we're here. We're here. Just call, call, email. The office number is 708-441-2515. And my email address is jdavis at S is in Sam, J is in Jack, J is in Jill, council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot O-R-G. We're here. Utilize us. Allow us to provide you the services that you all need. And those details will be repeated in our, on our podcast webpage. And that address is in the description. Ms. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. And I'd like to also thank Dr. Shaniqua Jones. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to our second episode of season two of the Southland Health and Wellness Hour podcast. I want to thank Jacqueline Davis and Dr. Shaniqua Jones for joining us. We'll be back in 2022 to have more community-driven conversations about health and wellness. Listeners, we want to hear from you. If you've been influenced by our podcast, please go to our site and send us an email. The link is available in the podcast description. This podcast is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences in partnership with the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. I'm Rhonda Jackson, and I've been your host and coordinating producer today. Our executive producer is Deborah James. Our senior consulting journalist is Randall Wiseman. Our music is by Charles DeMazer, who's professionally known as Seasick. Special thanks to Digital Learning and Media Design for sponsoring the following production expertise. Our director today is Uriah Berryhill. Our editor is Tyann Simmons, and graphics are by Amanda Martinez.